Make money online. We have a rule on this podcast. It's not a rule. Sort of a guideline. We spent like the first... 50 episodes? 60 episodes. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to exaggerate that number. 55 episodes. Talking about positioning. Um, Kai, what is positioning? Positioning is a very important concept for freelancers and consultants. Uh, In my mind... Positioning has evolved to something different than specialization. Positioning is picking your target market and identifying how you want to be known and recognized by that target market. That's different from concepts we talk about often, like an expensive problem that people in your target market are are experiencing the trigger or need that they have that you help them with, or your specialization, the discipline that you practice, the, the area of expertise you have. So For you, Nick, your specialization would be, let's say, design and A-B testing and conversion rate optimization. Your positioning would be the target market you're working with, e-commerce, and uh, uh, I'm completely blanking on the third one. We have positioning, we have special. Oh, an expensive problem would be, hey, how do I get more sales? How do we get more conversion? So together, they fit into give you clarity on how to market your business, who you want to work with, who your best buyers are. But positioning in and of itself is understanding who you're marketing to, who that target market is, and how you want to be recognized and known by that target market. Is there anything you'd add to that? Um, Maybe also a statement of uniqueness that um, other similar consultants or businesses might um, might not have or might have in a different way. Um, yeah, mine, mine is basically trifecta. It's the expensive problem you're solving, who you're doing it for, and what makes you so special. And, um, and that's the, the third one is kind of an other, like a grab bag, right? It's not necessarily like, um, you, you can possibly get away with having a positioning that is not the statement of uniqueness, right? Um, so I think about a, one of my ex-clients. They are a countertop fabrication SaaS business. Um, so basically, they help countertop fabricators, target market, quote and plan and project manage their countertop fabrication projects. Expensive problem. They could go one further and say that their statement of uniqueness is that they're not a whiteboard Um, but they're competing against a whiteboard. There are no other SaaS businesses for countertop fabricators, right? Um, so you're kind of flogging a dead horse in that scenario. It's not really, uh, it's not really quite the same. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Uh, one aspect of positioning that I often think about is you want to, you want to have it be resonant and coherent with what the client is experiencing and what the client is seeking. And oftentimes I'll see positioning statements out in the wild that don't, that are not working for freelancers or consultants because they're phrased in terms of, let's say, inputs, what we're putting in, what we're doing, rather than outcomes or business outcomes that a company is in your target market is searching for. And so it's important to understand the difference between the thing that you're doing, hey, I'm doing, let's say, A-B testing, or I'm doing outreach, or I'm doing search engine optimization, and the thing the client is actually hiring you to achieve. We want more conversions. We want more website traffic. We want to get in touch and maintain relationships with influencers. So understanding that distinction, I think is very, very important because if you're marketing yourself based on the input, I'm going to build a website for you. 
people are only going to seek you out when they've only, when they've already identified that that is the thing that they need. Instead, if you're focused on the outcome, hey, we're going to help you get more leads for your business. People could be way, way early in the process of figuring out what they want or what they need, but they know, ah, oh, we need more leads. How do we get more leads? And so if you're positioned around that expensive problem, that outcome they're looking for in their mind, it's easier for somebody to say, oh, you're the person to help me get from where I am to where I want to be. And it honestly doesn't matter sort of how our discipline plays into this, what we're doing behind the scenes to help them achieve that. We might be doing the same thing we did pre-positioning. Hey, we're going to build a website. We're going to add some forms. We're going to do some conversion rate optimization on here. But we aren't focusing on the discipline as much as the outcome for the client, what they're searching for, what they're paying for, what they want to see happen in their business. Is it possible to be too narrowly positioned? I would say, I'd like to say no. I think that the answer is yes. You could position yourself in such a way that there are literally no clients that meet that positioning or meet that definition of a target market. But in actual, factual, real-world business, if you if you follow let's say best practices or best principles here and start by saying like, okay, who are the different target markets out there? Who have I worked with in the past? Let me analyze that. Who do I want to work with? Okay, let me have some conversations with people. Let me understand what their needs are, what outcomes they're looking for. Form a hypothesis based on what their needs are and what the market needs. You could refine down your positioning to something that's very, very targeted and focused. Uh, Jonathan Stark and Philip Morgan both use the phrase uh, laser-focused positioning statement. I think that the more narrow you make your positioning statement and the more specific, the more beneficial it will be for you because it will signal to those people that match your positioning statement, your dream clients, your ideal clients, hey, out of the sea of everyone, every consultant out there, I specialize in working with people like you. I might work with other people as well, but I specialize in working with people like you. Uh, the, the example I often give is Somebody who says, oh, I'm an e-commerce consultant and somebody who says, oh, I'm a Shopify consultant. We could leave discipline aside for this example. But somebody who's saying, well, I'm an e-commerce consultant, they're going to get leads from WooCommerce people, from BigCommerce, from Etsy, from eBay, from all the different platforms. Somebody who's saying specifically, I specialize in Shopify. I am a Shopify consultant. And I'll share an example in a moment of how far down the rabbit hole we can actually take this. Somebody who's saying, I'm a Shopify consultant. Well, if somebody has a Shopify store and is searching for an e-commerce consultant, now they have a choice between somebody who's saying, I'm a generalist e-commerce consultant. I help e-commerce stores. Well, not bad, decent, matches up with who I am. I'm an e-commerce store owner. Or somebody who's saying, I specialize in helping Shopify businesses, do XYZ, whatever that outcome is. If we're a Shopify store owner, we look at that company and say, oh, wow, they work with companies exactly like mine. They work best with companies like mine. So the more specialized we're able to make ourselves, the more narrow we can define our target market, the easier it becomes to market ourselves. We no longer have to say, well, how do we reach our customers? We're able to say, okay, we've exactly identified who our customers are. Now we're able to ask the question of how we reach this specifically defined target market. Yeah, I want to put a finer point on this. I think that the the fundamental conceit is that you can't be too narrowly positioned, and I agree with that. Um, but somebody listening to this is going to come up with like, oh, wait, 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 actually. Whale doctors. What if? Not even that. You can, Yeah, right. Like whale doctors or like, well, maybe. Maybe. I mean, actually, that's I don't good. Know. But like, you know, 
when you've gotten too specific with your positioning, when it ceases to be normal and it starts to be ridiculous, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So if I want to be ridiculous, for example, um, I can run my business to only serve people named Patrick Foley. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hi, Patrick. And, And I know, hi, Patrick, how's it going? Patrick Foley is a wonderful human being. I actually know a Patrick Foley. He lives in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He's a wonderful guy. Uh, he was actually a client of mine at one point. Um, but if I built my business on only serving Patrick Foley's, Patrick's Foley, it would be preposterous, right? You would listen to this and think that I was completely insane and that that's a poor business model. So okay, instead of doing that, I serve a lot of different businesses and I have a more generalized criteria for it. Um, To say whale doctors, actually, I bet there are a lot of whale doctors. Think about like every aquarium in the world, right? Think about like every oceanographic institute in the world. There are probably a lot of whale doctors and they probably have a lot of really weird and fucked up and specific problems to be solving. Like, even the things that sound dumb that are still general are probably interesting wallet out markets, right? It's only when you get into the realm of like dogs named basil that live on central park Avenue in Chicago. Like, no, you're not going to run a business like that. That's preposterous. Right. And, and the instant that your like lizard brain rejects the thing, that's when you know you've gone too narrow with your positioning. But you would never do that anyway because we're only thinking about this in this like strictly academic exercise. And so I think there's a big lesson to be have that had there, right? Like if you think about countertop fabricators, that's a big industry. If you think about whale doctors, that's a peculiar industry. Could be some whale clients in there. Get... <laughs> It's a peculiar industry, but there might be value there. I'm thinking of an early episode, or I was just reminded of an early episode of Philip Morgan's Consulting Pipeline podcast, uh, episode 16, when he talks with uh, Kenna Cote, I'm sure I'm butchering your last name, my apologies, uh, about what it takes to grow a business in a tiny niche. Kenna started in a tiny, weird niche, teaching people who make handmade soap how to do a better job of running their business. And that seems like, to me, both... Narrow and specific and ridiculous and preposterous. How many people out there are running handmade soap businesses that need to do a better job of running their business? Well, obviously enough to support Kenna. So how niche can you go? How specialized can you go? The answer might be, well, are you unable to find any communities or any examples of those types of clients. And if you're unable to find any sort of signs of life for that target market or that positioning, that might be the signal that you've gone too specialized. But you might find some esoteric weird niche and say, okay, I'm going to be the big fish in this small pod. And I'm serving, you know, consultants who work with handmade soap business owners. And great, there's enough out there to support me and my business. It becomes a crazy, radically narrow positioning. But for somebody that matches that positioning statement, for somebody that is in that target market, you suddenly are the only person or one of a few people saying, yo, I work best with people like you, and it immediately develops that rapport. I don't even think handmade soap is too terribly narrow. Have you ever Mm -hmm. been to Renegade Craft Fair? (laughs) My God, right? Like Mm -hmm. half of them are hawking soap. Mm -hmm. There's a lesson to be had here, which is that industry-specific positioning 
is not crazy, right? And so, um, you know, somebody asked, how specialized can you be, right? Um, or how do you know when you've specialized enough? And um, I think when you start to get into the point where you're like actually naming individual people and serving individual people, then you should just be their employee, right? Like, but beyond that, like, no, if you're, if your addressable market is maybe six or seven businesses, I actually think that's still an okay positioning. Think about government contractors, right? Lockheed Martin have one customer. <laughs> yeah. If your addressable market is six or seven businesses, well, you in a sense have made it easier for yourself. One of the areas that I see people struggle with the most is, hey, how do I build a leads list? How do I build a prospect list of people in this niche and get in touch with them and talk with them? Well, if your addressable market is seven companies, you know who the companies are. You could go on LinkedIn right now and be like, okay, I found the name and email address of the CEOs of each of them and start your outreach. It By reducing the options, by reducing the scope of your target market, you actually make it easier to say, well, Quick test. Does this person match this target market? Yes, no. Yes. Okay, great. I should get in touch with them. For a tiny, tiny niche, it becomes easier to do outreach and build those relationships and quickly reach a point of either validating or disproving your hypothesis about this being a, an addressable market. Yeah. Yeah. And this is something that is not as high risk as people necessarily believe, right? So I think there's uh, a lesson to be had there where like if you go more niche, maybe you're still getting other clients or customers from outside of that niche. That's fine. Take the business. Um, you don't have to go and say no to everybody. In fact, it's going to take a little bit of time, right? Like you're going to be turning that ship. But you already have a reputation for serving the broader market and that's not going to change overnight. As a result, there's substantially less risk than people may necessarily believe when they're trying to go narrower on their positioning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. More and more, I see positioning less as like the defining thunderous, momentous move that you make in your business and more as a marketing experiment. It's like saying, I'm going to test Facebook ads. Ah, Facebook ads didn't work. Positioning should have that level of... Eh, that level of casualness to it. I'm going to test this positioning. I'm going to talk to 10 people in this market. I'm going to see if they actually have problems I can help with. Oh, they do. Great. Oh, they don't. Great. I'll test another market. It's something that you could pick up, test, experiment with, change, adapt over time. You in no way are tied to your own your old positioning. You and I have both changed positioning multiple times, evolving from generalists to specialists in different fields, changing the fields, changing what we specialize in. And our businesses do well. That, I think, is a natural part of the growth of a consultant or a freelancer, identifying new markets, identifying new lines of business, moving into new markets and new lines of business and adapting your positioning to better serve them. That really is the sign, I think, of a healthy, growing freelancing or consulting business. You are adapting over time. You are not remaining stagnant. Mm -hmm. 